recorded live from Hong Kong and Toronto. Let's go. This is the PR and Law Podcast. The PR and Law Podcast. Turn it up. Turn it up. With your hosts, Cam McMurchie and you and Christy. Welcome to episode 55 of the PR and Law Podcast. I'm your host, Cam McMurchie, along with you and Christy. Hello, Cameron. Ewan's an employment lawyer and partner at Duntroon LLP in Toronto, Canada, and his firm is online at duntroon.law. I am in PR in Hong Kong and publisher of the Digital Bits PR and Communications newsletter at digitalbitspr.com. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell a friend and you can follow us on all the socials, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, take, take your choice there, and uh, our newsletter as well, prlawpodcast.club. Ewan, I am one hour removed from my second Pfizer dose. I seem to be doing okay. Maybe a little loopy, but uh, I'm here. How are things going there? Wow! So you're you're done, man. That's it. Hey, end of the end of the road for you. Yeah, it's kind of an odd feeling because it's like this year, well, longer than a year, right? That we've been dealing with this, and uh, yeah, I, I think like that's all I can do, right? I've done my part. I've taken these two doses. Um, you know, I took the second dose, uh, you know, like I say, about an hour ago. And, you know, I mentioned before, Hewan, that I've heard horror stories about this second Pfizer dose. I mean, I've had several friends here take it. And literally all of them struggled. I haven't heard one story yet of somebody who, you know, had no issue with it and carried on. Uh, so I'm kind of bracing for some fatigue or chills or flu-like symptoms later today, uh, which is why it's good we're getting this podcast out of the way. <laughs> Well, as I was saying off, off air to you, I think uh, at least you scheduled it more or less right. Because if your if your symptoms sort of kick in around sort of the same kind of timeline that my AstraZeneca <laughs> symptoms kicked in, then it should hit you sort of around dinner time, which means you should hopefully just be able to crawl into bed, you know, pop some drugs and uh, and and sleep it off. Ah, drugs. Uh, what were your your symptoms again? You went after your AstraZeneca. I think you mentioned them before. Oh, but like, what, what, what did you it, feel? It, it, well, yeah, it was it was terrible, and I I was in an all day mediation <laughs> that day, Cam. Oh, no it was it was not fun. It was like eight thirty until uh, till five thirty, and I woke up in the morning uh, with with chills. I was running a fever, headache um, achy joints, the whole, the whole nine yards. But, you know, as, as we, as we said, or discussed when, uh, when I, when I got mine a couple of weeks ago, it, you know, that was it. Look, it's it. Yeah. The symptoms, they're not fun, but you know what? They they're around for the better part of, of a day and then it's gone and that's it. And you move on with your life, which is really kind of exciting. I am getting a bit tired of people who say, Oh, but the side effects, like, I don't really know. And I don't know. I'm going to take a wait and see. I think, no, you kind of have an obligation actually to get this vaccine, any of the vaccines, actually. Uh, it's not really just for you. It's for everyone around you because even with these vaccines, we can still, you know, get the virus COVID-19 and pass the virus on to somebody else. Uh, so the more, the more people that are vaccinated and can protect themselves and those around them, the better. 
Continue the debate with us on social media. Join us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at PR Law Podcast. All would word PRLAW Podcast. Send us your questions now by email to ask us at PRLawPodcast.com. That's all one word. Ask us at PRLawPodcast.com or on social media with the hashtag PRLawPod. That's hashtag PRLAWPOD. Speaking of the pandemic, I believe uh, you want to raise an important subject that's come up during this pandemic. Well, yeah, Cameron. Well, I mean, first of all, shout out to the mothers. Yes. It's, uh, it's still Mother's Day here. I know what you, this is coming to you, Cam, Monday morning. Happy belated um, Mother's Day to the mothers out there. Yeah. Did you call your mom, Cameron? You know, I messaged my mother in the morning her time, which was Sunday night, Hong Kong time. And I said, are you around? I'll give you a call. And she said, I'm actually out. She said, I'll talk oh. to you later. And I said, okay, uh, that's fine. I think she was already already out doing things uh, for Mother's Day. So I'm going to have to talk to her maybe after this uh, this podcast. Okay. Well, as long as long as you do. And I guess you can still catch her. The yes, time exactly. Is Good. Yep. Well, I, I, I would be remiss if I did not give a, a shout out to my wonderful, wonderful wife, who is also a remarkable, remarkable mother. Um, our, our daughter and I are blessed and lucky to have her. Um, so thank you, Jillian, for all that you do for us mm-hmm. um, each and every day. You really, really are a truly, truly wonderful, amazing woman. I love you. And thank you oh so much. Um, and that's, I wanted to talk a little bit about the mothers today, Cameron, because, you know, as we've, we've talked about a few times on this show uh, over the course of the pandemic, you know, they've really, really, really borne the brunt of, um, of a lot of the, the issues that we've all had to deal with throughout this, you know, particularly sort of carrying that, that disproportionate load of, of child rearing, homeschooling, you know, we've talked about this issue a number of times in the show, Cam, how, how that has fallen Mm-hmm. on their shoulders and there's you know just every it seems sort of every day every week i mean we couldn't possibly cover all the evidence that comes out around this this issue of you know the amount of hours spent in a given week that women are 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 dealing with this sort of domestic labor versus their their male counterparts but uh, suffice it to say, it's it's significant. Um, you know, eighty percent of mothers said that they were responsible for the homeschooling cam, which mm-hmm. um, in this neck of the woods, as well as uh, to our neighbors to the south, has been a huge issue over the course of the pandemic. Right, which mm-hmm. is children trying to rem- to learn remote, um, which means that the parents have to be present to to assist them with that process. Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. I know that they, they're definitely feeling a lot of pressure over a long period of time. Uh, and that's difficult to, difficult to deal with. Yeah. Well, and, and that's kind of what I wanted to, to touch on this, this idea of, from an employment perspective, this idea of V-shaped employment. And I'm not sure if you've, if yes. you're familiar with this term, Cam, I, but I am. Yes. But go ahead. Yeah. Right. I mean, and it's exactly what it sounds like. You look at a V, you have women who are in the workforce and then women leave the workforce and then come back much like a V. There isn't really much in between. And, you know, this isn't 
specific to the pandemic. This was an issue before the pandemic. And part of the problem is, of course, you know, when women have children, they go off on maternity leave. And depending on where you you happen to live in the world, that might mean you're away for a few weeks, a few months, um, or possibly, you know, you decide you're going to take a few years off. And when you do that, it obviously has pretty devastating effects in terms of your ability to reintegrate into the workforce when you come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, you know, these issues, this sort of V-shaped employment phenomenon, it's not specific to women who um, go off on maternity leave. They also disproportionately take leaves over the summer, again, to typically to take care of children who are off during the summer. It's a problem. It's a real, real problem. And, you know, one of the things that I think has been interesting and could possibly prove to be a positive post-pandemic is, of course, all of this remote work, right? Mm-hmm. Employers have effectively overnight had to revamp the office environment. They've had to revamp tech and mm-hmm you know, this really has been the majority of employers. There've certainly been those industries where they've been on top of this stuff pre-pandemic, but for those that haven't, yeah, most haven't. And have had to, mm-hmm. pardon me? Most haven't, especially in traditional industries. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think this is where there's a potential positive to come out of all of this. And that is because we also have evidence to suggest that mothers are the ones when, you know, your sort of studies that are posing these questions of who would like to continue to work remotely post-pandemic. Mothers are typically at the top of that list saying, yes, sign me up. Mm -hmm. I'd like to continue in some capacity at least to work remotely. And I think that that could prove to be a really, really positive thing in so much as it could help to alleviate that V-shaped phenomenon. And the long-term benefits to that could really be significant because it can mean that you can have, we can have more women that are remaining integrated in the workforce without having to completely take that step back because their only option is to either physically be in a bricks and mortar office or be at home. Mm -hmm. And if we can have something in between finally create sort of another tier of work then we can keep more of them in the workforce. When we keep more women in the workforce, that means that there are more opportunities for women to advance and there are more opportunities for women to be promoted into those senior and executive level positions that are still so difficult to to attain, right? Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day. I mean, the, the pandemic has obviously been incredibly challenging for, for, for everyone. I mean, women in particular, but, but many groups, obviously. I mean, a lot of people don't have jobs at all, um, you know, because of the pandemic. And we're talking tens of millions of people. So it's been a huge disruption. And I think rightfully so, we've been focusing on the, the negatives of, of the pandemic. But I do think as we come out of it and as we start building this post-pandemic economy, a term that I'm hearing a lot, um, there's going to be some silver linings out of this. And I think you just touched on one of them, which is the remote work. And, you know, I, I think it was something that seemed uh, something a little you know, dreamy or unrealistic to a lot of managers or companies in the past, the pandemic forced them to, to basically set up infrastructure, as you mentioned, as you mentioned overnight, basically, um, to allow for remote work. Um, and it, it, I think it showed 
everyone that remote work is feasible. It's possible. You can do it and still cover things off well and succeed. Um, I think that's a really important lesson uh, that comes out of this. I think it's fantastic. Uh, you know, it, it's not that it, it's not about whether people want to work remotely or want to go to the office. It's a it's a matter of presenting new uh, options for employees and for employers. You know, you can mix and match. You can choose what you want to do because now we know what works and what doesn't work. And I think that's going to open up, yeah, new opportunities, you know, for all kinds of workers, but but women included for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. I completely agree. And, you know, we're starting to see more workplace policies that reflect this kind of flexibility. But again, I think, you know, it, it took the pandemic to make this happen. And I think that's the part that, you know, um, I'm sure for mothers uh, who, who are listening to this show probably find so remarkably frustrating, right? Because it's not like they weren't dealing with this issue before that issue of, well, look, I, I effectively have a choice. On one hand, I can go to work or on the other hand, I can stay home and take care of my children, but I'm not, I can't do both. This was an issue long before the pandemic. It just took a global pandemic for employers effectively to sort of be compelled to really have to directly address this issue. And I think it's encouraging, again, that we're starting to see more workplace policies. And I'm starting to see some language around these issues incorporated into employment agreements now as well, which is fantastic. Um, but again, stuff that just wasn't there in a pre-pandemic context that all of a sudden is starting to it's starting to be reflected in policy. Yeah. So also, what should employers do then? I mean, if, if we have employers or small business uh, people listening, I mean, what can they do to facilitate this and to provide these kinds of opportunities? And then what can employees do, if anything, to help push this along? Well, you know, again, and this sort of goes back to that idea of communication and employers need to be, especially right now when we're sort of talking about that post pandemic plan, you know, what are companies going to do when they, when they open up, what is their back to work environment going to look like? And much of that for the companies that are going to succeed and are going to do well is going to involve a great deal of communication and speaking with their employees and getting a sense as to what they need and what's going to make them effective employees in this sort of post pandemic world. So there has to be some consultation, whether that's through HR departments or, you know, literally sitting down down with individual employees and, and getting their two cents on the issues. But you have to have that communication to make sure that you're hitting the mark and getting the balance right and find out what they need. Because in some cases, you know, there are going to be those employees who want to be back in the office five days a week. There are going to be those employees who are going to take the position that, hey, if I can stay home um, with my children so that I don't have to pay an exorbitant amount for childcare and I can work on off hours or I can work remotely, I want to do that five days a week. And then and maybe you're going to have employees that are going to want some sort of hybrid approach. And I think that's something employers need to keep in mind when developing these policies, that the likelihood that they're going to be able to have a one size fits all for all of the employees in their office going forward. I think those days are gone, Cam. And I think for the companies that are going to be successful and are going to grow and are going to attract top talent, they're going to have to have flexibility in terms of that 
type of scheduling. It's not going to be able to just be you're here all the time or you're not here all the time. They're going to have to be adaptable and they're going to have to come up with flexible approaches. And I think this is a big win. I, you know, I, I think in the not too distant future, we're going to look back at the idea of nine to five and think that is horribly inefficient and outdated. Um, it's just you, you can't fit everyone's everyone's personalities, needs, working styles, efficiency, etc. into just one one kind of work sitting at a desk or in a cubicle, you know, all day long with everybody else all at the same time. And then, you know, the end of the day, everyone goes home. I mean, it does already seem kind of outdated to me. Uh, so I think this is ultimately it, it's going to be a challenge for employers to adjust. But ultimately, I think it's going to probably improve productivity, which is a benefit to the employer and also obviously a benefit to the employees if they get a bit more flexibility. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's going to take a lot of work, obviously, because, again, we're we're in many cases, we're, we're figuring this stuff out on the fly. But, um, you know, around your issue of flexibility around that nine to five and that sort of being an, an antiquated and outdated notion of, of how to work, I don't disagree with you. But at the same time, we also need to establish parameters better and, and more more um, stringent parameters in terms of, okay, so if we are working remotely, what does that mean? If I'm not working a nine to five, what does that mean? Because as we've also seen, Cam, there's lots of, lots of evidence around this. Effectively, what, what the reality has been for a lot of remote workers is that they're working in some capacity from, you know, eight in the morning till eight or 10 o'clock at night. And that work day has just, it's just a blurred line and there are no boundaries. So again, a lot of that is going to have to go back to consultation for employers with their employees, establishing what works, what's going to be most beneficial, what's going to be most profitable for employers and employees in terms of establishing some sort of boundaries around, you know, if we do have people working remotely five days a week, for example, what are the you know, what are the assumptions or what are the expectations in terms of responding to communications, for example, emails, direct messages? You know, is there a framework where outside of specific hours, there isn't an expectation to respond immediately? Um, will employees ultimately be penalized if they choose not to respond immediately, even when they are sort of outside these established hours? I mean, a lot of this stuff, Cam, if you leave it to chance, you're opening yourself up to a lot of problems in an employment context. So I think, again, employers and employees, they're really going to have to sit down and there isn't going to be a one size fits all here. And that's what is makes it even more complicated. What do you need in your particular business framework and what do your employees need to be successful and productive well, over the next I would, few years? I would argue those issues are already here. Uh, the issues around like when can you when should you respond to emails or phone calls and what is appropriate. I mean, if you get something at eight, eight o'clock on a Friday evening, should you respond? Um, I mean, even before the pandemic, these questions were there and you're right. There's no real framework yet for what is expected or not expected. And when there's not a framework, that usually means the employer will respond just out of fear of, 
you know, not doing what they're supposed to do, they will err on the side of responding uh, just to, to not land in hot water. And so, yeah, that, that is a problem. And, I, you know, I, I've said this before. I, I don't mind work creeping into my personal life. I may be different on that. However, I do expect the trade-off. I do expect that during the week, if I have a doctor's appointment or a dentist appointment or I have a relative in town who wants to have afternoon tea or, you know, whatever – that I'm able to go and do that. And to me, that that's the trade-off. I will be around all the time for you, but then you have to let me take my time whenever that might be, you know, and I'll, I'll do that responsibly and make sure throughout this process that everything gets done, no ball is dropped, and everything is okay. That's very difficult to do because there's no written kind of framework around which you have to follow. But that's kind of the, the, the circumstance that I would be looking for personally. Well, yeah. And I mean, you know, I mean, to state the obvious, Cam, you know, you're in a, a rather senior managerial position. So, I mean, the, you know, the parameters of what a, a, a typical work day or work week for you might be, I'm sure changes and varies a great it deal does, from day yeah. to day or week to week. Right. But there are there are no shortage of employees out there who they do have, you know, fixed hours incorporated into their employment agreements and, you know, thresholds in terms of the numbers of hours that they're going to work in a given day or in a given week. And that's easier to sort of, um, you know, moderate or maintain or monitor when you're working in a, a bricks and mortars office. But what happens when you take that employee out of that bricks and mortar office and they're working from home? How do you, how do you, ensure, for example, from an employer's perspective, that they're putting in that that quota in a given week. Um, well, and now how do you this ensure is... from, from the employee's perspective that, you know, you're not going above and beyond what the expectations um, are well, as per your employment agreement? On right? that first point there, in terms of filling the quota, I mean, it depends what your boss is like. I mean, if, if you have a manager who wants to see your face sitting in that cubicle, and if you're three minutes late, you're going to be in trouble. I mean, that that's a certain kind of a company, right? I don't think remote work is going to work there. Because... For, 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 I guess for, for, for knowledge economy companies, the, the output is usually in terms of some kind of deliverable, some kind of tangible output that you're responsible for. And that, it doesn't change whether you're at home or in Hawaii on holiday or in the office. You have to deliver what you have to deliver according to your job nature by whatever time you have to deliver it. And so, like, trying to figure out if the employee is putting in the time, like you mentioned, if they're working remotely, to me, that's almost a secondary question. It's are they getting the job done? If they're getting the job done, then it shouldn't really matter. Like, to me, if they get the job done in two hours at home, I, it doesn't, it doesn't affect me one one iota i just want them to make sure that they get their job done and i don't want to have any issues and then outside of that their time is is theirs at least that's how i would look at it but i'm sure i'm in the minority on that well i mean you look I, but i mean you make a really really good point from a cultural perspective right um what does it matter whether i'm sitting in front of my computer for you know hours a through whatever, as long as I'm getting the work done. Um, but again, I think that's reflective of a particular workplace culture. And I mean, I can, I, I, I can tell you, and I'm, I'm, I know, you know, this, that there are no shortage of workplaces that are on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, right? Where you have employers that are looking at options in terms of incorporating 
spyware monitoring apps on remote laptops to ensure that employees are logged in for particular hours in a particular day to make sure they are meeting a particular hourly threshold um, in a given day and week. That stuff is is very real. It's a very real issue for for a lot of employers. And, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out over the coming months and years, because I think a lot of a, a lot of businesses are going to come face to face with exactly what you've summarized, that idea of, well, we have this employee who accomplished everything that he needed to accomplish and everything that we asked of him or her. However, um, according to our monitoring apps, he was only on his computer for two hours in that given day. So clearly he wasn't working the full eight hours. Well, is that really relevant if all of the work was getting done? Um, these are the kinds of questions that uh, a lot of companies are going to have to explore. And it's going to take a lot of, you know, looking in the mirror and reflecting upon what kind of business do we want to be and what kind of employees do we want to attract um, over the coming years in this new post-pandemic world. Show your support to the PRN Law Podcast by making a one-time donation or setting up a subscription with us on Patreon. Every little bit helps us keep the lights on and bring the show to you each week. If you'd like to chip in, please visit PRNLawPodcast.com. That's PRNLawPodcast.com. Click support the show. Thanks for helping us out. Ah, you and you know it's uh, it's really fun for me when there is a company that just gets blasted in the press uh, because it's perfect <laughs> fodder for this podcast. And uh, there's no more sort of deserving company, I think, in many people's minds than Peloton. I guess you're familiar with Peloton. You you don't have a Peloton bike though, do you? In your house, I I do not, Cameron. I Are they not. sold in Canada? Actually, I'm not I, sure. I, I believe so. Yeah, I mean, okay. I certainly know people that that have them. Have I don't them. know if they're imported from the U.S., but yeah, people people here have them. Yeah, I mean, I'm familiar with Peloton. I mean, I think people will probably remember the the Christmas ad from I guess a year ago uh, about oh, a yeah, woman on the right. Peloton bike. Her husband gave her a Peloton for Christmas. And so they've been in the news. It's not the first time that, that they've been in the news, but it's the first time for this kind of issue. So, I mean, just a, a bit of background. Um, a, a child died in an incident involving a Peloton bike sometime in March. And when that happened, uh, the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, CPSC, said they would look into it, that they were going to do an investigation and, and see what happened. And, you know, at, at the time... You know, this came out, there was a bit of media coverage, and the CEO of Peloton, a man by the name of John Foley, uh, posted a letter on Peloton's website. Now, we love dissecting these, don't we, Ewan? Here we are. I sure do. <laughs> Let's is, go. Let's I'm, do it. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but here is uh, a nut graph, as we say. Quote, I'm reaching out to you today because I recently learned about a tragic accident involving a child and the tread plus resulting in unthinkably a death. While we are aware of only a small handful of incidents involving the tread plus where children have been hurt, each one is devastating to all of us at Peloton and our hearts go out to the families involved. End quote. Now, before I ask you, Ewan, hang on. He then discussed in this 
you know, uh, note on the website some safety precautions. There's a few bullets of what Peloton owners should do to stay safe. And then the closing bit, quote, we are always looking for new ways to ensure that you have the best experience with our products, and we are currently assessing ways to reinforce our warnings about these critical safety precautions to hopefully prevent future accidents. Thank you so much for reading. We care deeply about your health and wellness, starting with your safety and the safety of your family, end quote. What do you think at first, <laughs> first blush? Well, I'm glad they're they're trying to hopefully prevent uh, further accidents, Cam. Uh, not that they're going to prevent them, Fingers but they're crossed. hopefully going to prevent them. Um, well, yeah, hopefully you can do that. Yeah. The, the first sentence, first of all, you know, reaching out. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I'm reaching I'm, out to I'm today. So I'm so over and done with I'm reaching out or let me reach out or I'll reach out. Yes. I, nobody's reaching out. We're not mm. physically <laughs> stretching our hands through remote devices and grabbing someone by the collar on the other end. Yep. We're not doing that. Can we please come up with some other sort of, you know, yes. some other turn of phrase to open a message with? And while um, we're at it, let's get rid of inflection point. But I digress. Oh gosh. Carry on. <laughs> yes. Um, but the but the other thing, Cam, was actually just grammatically, that first sentence, it almost sounded Shatner-esque, mm-hmm. the way it was broken up mm-hmm. with um it, it just it seemed unnecessarily clunky, even getting away from from the message, which was it seems just completely and utterly tone deaf and verbose. Mm-hmm. Um but somehow verbose without actually saying anything, if that makes any sense. Um, Just, just disastrous. But again, I think the thing that jumps out the most was the hopefully able to do this. No, that's not what your customers are looking for. You can't say you're going to hopefully do something that could ultimately result in death. You're going to say that you will, you will do this, Mm -hmm. not you're going to hopefully do it anyway. Yeah. um, Yeah. You know, we've dissected many messages like this in, in, in the past, some, some good, some bad, but, but the one thing that I've said, I think multiple times is you, you have to reflect the gravity of the situation and this is a six-year-old child who died. And to, to start off the message this way, um, it, it just seems inappropriate. Um, and then also he says, you know, we're aware of only a small handful of incidents where children have been hurt. And he does say each one is devastating, but it just still seems to really kind of miss the mark. It doesn't make any reference to we're going to take a look at the at the treadmill. We're going to, you know, do an internal investigation to see if there's anything on here that's faulty. Nothing like that. It was just basically like we're sorry that that there has been a death. There's only been a few injuries. You know, reading between the lines, they're saying it's not a big deal. It's not enough to 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 cause any change. And then it's it's basically pushing it onto the parents or the Peloton owners to say, just follow these safety precautions. Like, you know, we're looking for new ways uh, basically to, and they say this, to reinforce our warnings about these critical safety precautions. So they're basically saying, it's not us. Like, this is really sad that this happened, but it's not us. But can you just please follow the instructions? Which, yeah, is not not the best message. Uh, no. No, generally, generally not. You generally don't want to be blaming your customers um, <laughs> for these sorts of things. 
Exactly. So anyway, the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, which I mentioned, they issued a notice on, on April 17th. Now, this is several weeks after this, this initial report. Um, and, and their notice was titled, CPSC warns consumers stop using the Peloton Tread Plus, <laughs> which could not be more, more to the point. Um, here's, here's what this message said. Again, just a couple of, uh, a couple of highlights. So uh, the, the CPSC said it is warning consumers about the danger of popular Peloton Thread Plus exercise machine after multiple incidents of small children and a pet being injured beneath the machines. The commission has found that the public health and safety requires this notice to warn the public quickly of the hazard. To date, CPSC is aware of 39 incidents, including one death. CPSC staff believes the Peloton Tread Plus poses serious risks to children for abrasions, fractures, and death. In light of multiple reports of children becoming entrapped, pinned, and pulled under the rear roller of the product, CPSC urges consumers with children at home to stop using the product immediately. It is believed that at least one incident occurred while a parent was running on the treadmill, suggesting that the hazard cannot be avoided simply by locking the device when not in use. Reports of a pet and objects being sucked beneath the Tread Plus also suggest possible harm to the user if the user loses balance as a result. I would say that that's pretty clear. Oh, I, I, yeah. Um, so let's see, we had... Wow. Abrasions, fractures, <laughs> and death, death. <laughs> yes. pinned, pulled, sucked. Yep. Um, trapped. I mean, very, very, dis- yeah, not the kind of descriptive language you, um, you want to see when you're trying to sell a treadmill anyway, that's for sure. Now you and I know you're, you're not a PR guy by trade, but what would you do if you were Peloton in this, in this instance? after this comes out? Well, um, you know, again, and I'm sorry, I actually just pulled up the initial statement because the way you read it, Cam, and I have to, Hey, I have to tip my hat to you that you, you got all of the grammatical inflections in place. And I I don't, (laughs) I know I don't want to get bogged down in this, but just that opening, the opening statement again, trad, that tragic accident involving a child and the tread plus comma resulting in comma, unthinkably comma, (laughs) A death. Who yeah. wrote, wrote that? that? Yeah, I know. I know. Who wrote I, that? I look at that stuff I mean, and I think, unbelievable. Yeah. Unbel- yeah. I mean, it really, really is. It really, really is, particularly given the severity of the circumstances. Yeah. But look, I think, you know, what do you do? You're right, Cam. I mean, th- th- this is not this is not my particular bailiwick, but I think that you have to be clear in accepting responsibility, right? That has to be the first point. Come right out and say, this happened. We accept responsibility for it and then convey to your audience that the behavior is going to change, right? I mean, these are fundamentals of of communication, Mm -hmm. right? There's a problem. We admit that there's a problem. We're addressing that there's a problem. We will do everything that we can to ensure that this problem doesn't occur in the future, right? I mean, four very basic points or so you would think, mm-hmm. and yet they've somehow managed to completely 
screw it up at every at every level. But again, even in whoever they recruited to write this, was this just the CEO who said, you know what? I got this, guys. Let me let, let me take it. Let me take this one. I'm going to I'm going to run with it. Um, and he was just given free reign to draft the statement however he saw fit, because it it really, really reads like amateur hour. Well, I yeah, I would be surprised if the CEO wrote it, um, but it could be some I mean, <laughs> Whoever wrote it, it would have gone through multiple revisions and reviews, which is why I'm surprised that it, it got out the way that it did. But but you know, you and after the the the, the CS or, or the CPSC issued this notice telling consumers to stop using the the Tread Plus, um, the next day Peloton said no plans to recall, nothing wrong with the product. That was one day after this warning. Basically, they remained defiant in spite of this. And of course, that drew a whole other wave of negative publicity until last week, which is when Peloton finally decided that it would halt production of the Tread Plus and it would launch a recall because it has found problems with it. Now, this could have happened, uh, you know, a month and a half, six six, seven weeks ago, and it would have avoided so much damage. Their stock price was down at one point, like 40%, 30, 35 or 40%, uh, you know, as a result of just bungling this entire situation. Now I, you know, I, I think I have a, an idea of what happened here and there is, um, especially with some of these companies, Peloton is relatively a young company. I mean, they've been around several years, but in the grand scheme of things, this, they're still relatively young. And this is a common instinct when, when you have a product like this. And, and I've been at companies where there have been similar discussions like this. You know, there, there's a problem. Someone gets hurt or somebody, something bad happens where there is a problem or an injury or, or heaven forbid, a death, something like that. The first instinct is to go, okay, like this is a product that we have tested and we've you know, distributed around the world and millions of people are using, and this one person had a problem or this, this, you know, two people or three people or whatever. It still seems like, well, this is clearly their issue because nobody, nobody else has had this problem. And you trust your, your R and D guys and you trust your quality control guys and you think it's okay. And so your instinct is to stand up for your product. I, I think that's actually quite quite normal you want to come out and say like look this is a this is a quality product you know we're very sorry that that somebody died but you know this is it's a tread i mean basically like i said in their first message they basically said this is a treadmill and you have to use you know be, be careful while you're using it and make sure you follow our safety protocols which is fine except that it's not going to go away. And this is the hardest thing for companies to grasp and CEOs in particular. And I'm sure John Foley came across this. Even one death, if it's a child, like there's basically nothing more tragic than that, than losing a child to, to this kind of incident or any incident for that matter. And you have to, you just have to halt things, even almost as a show of respect. I mean, you can kind of convince yourself to do it for that reason, but there's going to be a public outcry. There's going to be criticism. There's going to be media coverage when, when those kinds of incidents are happening. And so you have to be proactive, even though I'm sure he feels like this is not Peloton's fault. 
you have to anyway because it's not that that's not the game anymore it's not about was it the 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 kids fault or the parents fault or, or you know did they not follow safety precautions it's no longer about those things it's about the negative coverage coming in on peloton and it's about their sinking share price and it's about saving the situation and trying to save the company's reputation and trying to move past the sort of defensiveness into sort of a, a, a rescue and recovery effort, that's a very difficult transition for chief executives to make and others inside companies because they do believe in their products. But he missed that opportunity and it really did cost the company. It was a really bad look. So aside from uh, getting a new PR team, Cam, how do, how do they, where do they go from here? I mean, how would you, how would you suggest they navigate this going forward over the coming weeks and months? Yeah. You know, it's, it's the damage has been done, right? I mean, this is just such a, such a bad look. I, you know, I was looking through, there was a great article, which I am going to post in the, in the show notes um, on, on PR news online, which is an online uh, news sort of for, for, for the PR industry written by Seth Ehrenstein. And, um, you know, he, he talked about some of the things that, that, that really went wrong here. I mean, obviously, the first one, the fact that they were basically defiant, you know, even after the first uh, reports of the death and other incidents. And then even after the CPSC issued its statement, I mean, Peloton continued basically to just be defensive and apparently, you know, basically defying the CPSC or getting into a war of words with them is extremely rare. Apparently, companies in the U.S., if they're issued a notice from this organization, they basically take it and implement whatever it recommends. So this is their, their, their behavior here is out of step um, with other with other companies that have been in similar situations. Um, and then, yeah, defying calls for a recall or even an investigation for so long. I mean, it's just uh, there's no excuse for that. So those are some of the things that they did wrong. But from here, you know it's going to be tough. You know, we always say in PR, like it, it can take years or a generation to build up trust and credibility in a firm or in a company or in a reputation. And it takes five minutes for it to be gone. And that's kind of what's happened here. There's no goodwill around this brand at the moment. Um, and I, I do think even the nature of this and the fact that it was a child that was killed is just, it just makes it that much worse. And it's going to take some time. I think they're really going to have to do a lot of repair work. I think it's going to come through sort of, yeah, community outreach, the old fashioned way, talking to their customers, reaching out to them, um, you know, doing extra testing on their products, being upfront. I mean, one of the things that they would, that I would recommend them to do is to develop a plan in, ter in terms of how they're going to improve their quality control or their manufacturing to look for these kinds of incidents and then publish them. Come out and say, from now on, we are now doing A, B, C, and D to make sure that our products are safe. We're going you know, far beyond what is expected to, to really ensure that this never happens again and be very, very transparent about those steps. And then, you know, it's good. there's going to be some time that has to pass, unfortunately. Hmm, but that seems like great counsel, the idea of at least... You know, let them see how the sausage is made. Give some give some disclosure in that regard to put the minds of potential customers at ease. That that certainly seems like a smart strategy. Yeah, it's you know, and it's because they've lost trust, right? I mean, companies often can come out and say, like, you know, now we are doing more on the quality control side or the manufacturing side, and you can trust them. But but Peloton can't do that because 
it, they've lost that, right? So they do have to be transparent. They should actually look at these issues, develop improvements, and then they have to publish them as well just to really drill home the fact that this is not a PR exercise. It's real improvements, which is also a PR exercise. <laughs> so anyway, it's it was a... It was a I mean, Peloton is kind of a, one of those love-hate companies to begin with because there's a lot of, uh, you know, urban kind of yuppie folks that love their Pelotons. But, but, and, and they've been ridiculed in the past for, for some of their imagery and their commercials, as we mentioned. Um, but, but this really did hurt, hurt the brand. I think they're going to survive. They're going to be fine. But th- there is going to be uh, so, some, some time that's going to have to take place here. And this is one of those cases, Ewan, that's going to turn up in textbooks, for sure, in communications textbooks, because it's pretty black and white. It's pretty clear where they screwed up, and you can see the, the fallout from it. So uh, it's going to be a very effective case study. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Check this out. Whoa, hey, check this out. No, no, wait, wait. Oh, check it out, check it out. I want you to check this out. On the PR and Law Podcast. What have you got, Ewan? Well, Cameron, this is the first time I have ever recommended a commercial. A commercial. <laughs> yes, that is <laughs> that is my recommendation for this week. What commercial? Is for our listeners to watch a commercial. Yeah, what, what, what is the commercial? Well, it's for extra gum, Cam. I don't even know, you know, what sort of international distribution does extra gum have? I don't know. Is I it, believe is, they're are, here. Are they U.S. based? Or are they Canadian based? I don't even know. I think they're U.S., aren't they? I, well, I mean, I'm sure I they've got a Canadian distributor, but they are here in Hong Kong as well. So, okay. I'm going to look okay. it up. Well, it's for extra gum, Cam, and I never would have thought that a chewing company or chewing gum company of all things would win best ad campaign of the pandemic. Um, now in fairness, I, I don't spend a lot of time sitting around and watching commercials. Um, but this one came across my Twitter feed and I, I pulled it up and I have to say I was really quite amazed. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes because they did a, a long form version of the commercial cam. It's on YouTube. It's about two minutes long. It's titled for when it's time. And, you know, the premise is very, very simple. It opens with a guy he's, you know, he's in his apartment. He's not wearing a shirt. He clearly hasn't shaved in forever. Um, yeah, we've all been his that apartment guy. is yeah. scuzzy and filthy and he's listening to the radio and the guy in the radio says, Hey, guess what? We can all go out now. Everything's safe. We can all go out again. And everybody's sort of then rapidly disseminating this message. And it's just a series of, you know, every sort of typical pandemic scenario you can think of. There's sort of a woman who's buried under a a series of empty pizza boxes, (laughs) a a mother who's on a zoom call with three screaming children in the background, so on and so forth. And simultaneously, everybody exits out into the streets and uh, it's, it's, pretty incredible or at least um that was that was my take cam i don't know did you have a chance to see it yeah i did i did have a chance to see it and it's uh it it is if if you have been locked down and you've been lamenting you know being at home you know day after day week after week month after month and yeah you you know showering has become optional (laughs) and 
and your family's in there with you. This is almost a uh, like a, a call to arms to finally, you know, break free once this pandemic is over and go out into the world. And, you know, it's, it's a it has quite the crescendo to, to the video. The one thing that was interesting to me when I mentioned this to you off the air as well is it does present a world of a very serious lockdown. And it, and it occurred to me as I was watching it that we just never had that in Hong Kong, but not just Hong Kong, in, in many parts of the world, I think. You know, for instance, you know, our offices here, many people have never worked from home, actually. There are offices here that have been in, in office, you know, despite the pandemic, uh, with masks on, which is sort of what, what, what we've been doing as well for the most part. I've had a couple of months at home, but... Um, and, you know, restaurants have never closed here, for instance. So so people have been able to go out and eat. There have been restrictions in terms of closing times and sometimes number of people at a table, you know, that sort of thing. Um, you know, sometimes it's takeout certain hours. But, but by and large, the world has continued. Like even the MTR has been full and you've seen the MTR, you and it's packed. It carries 5 million people a day. So we're still sardines on the subway, you know, even during the worst of the pandemic. So it was a good sort of illustration about the different ways that people have been impacted by this. Because I always think the lockdowns hasn't been too bad because I can still go to the foreign correspondence club and have a beer, but in other parts of the world, that's totally not possible and hasn't been possible for a very long time. And then when you start considering that, you know, this, this video makes a whole lot of sense then. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking sort of the same thing, um, you know, thinking of friends I have in, in Taiwan and I was thinking, if they watch this commercial, none of this would make any sense. They <laughs> <laughs> haven't had to experience any of this. Um, but yeah, I mean, and yet from from our perspective, I was reading some of the some of the comments. I mean, people were bawling watching this commercial. I thought it was very very funny, and it is. It is very funny, and I'm sure some it's people touching sort of, too. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it funny is, and it, also it, touching. It, it, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. It's touching. Um, and you know, I I. Never thought, Cam, in a million years that it's all coming back to me now by Celine Dion <laughs> would be the post-pandemic jam that I never thought jam. I needed. Jam, but is quite that, that's just to give you a little more context. That's the track playing during this commercial, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's priceless. It's just perfect, and and you know some some quality Canadian content there for you as well, Cameron. So. Yeah, yeah, you'll have to take a look at that. Um, what, what, what do you got? I'm going on the entertaining side today just for something uh, with a bit of brevity. Uh, this is a, uh, a, a it's a dark comedy slash drama that is on Paramount Plus, a streaming service called Why Women Kill. And I don't know if you've heard about this, Ewan. Um, it's a. Uh, it's an anthology television television series, but basically it is about three couples in different eras, but in the same house. So you've got one couple there in the sixties, you know, one in the eighties, nineties, and one current present day. Uh, but they are all marriages and they're all marriages with problems sort of unique to their time period. And it ties these three generations and three couples together. And it's a dark comedy, but like, 
you know, why women kill is the title. It's about women in very difficult marriages in different situations, kind of finding revenge or, or taking action. It is, it is a comedy. I, I want to be clear about it. It's, it's dark, but it's also a comedy. It's quite funny uh, as well. And I think it's uh, if, if you want to sit back and relax and have some, you know, quality entertainment, something that's funny, but also kind of enlightening and also, about marriage where people can say, oh yeah, I kind of recognize this part of marriage. Uh, it, it's, it's worth checking out. So I, I'll put a link to that as well, but yeah, it's called why women kill and it's worth, uh, worth watching. Okay. It sort of sounds like the hours. If you ever, if you remember that film from, from years ago, Cameron, yeah, sort of, um, three different eras of, of women, but with a, a rather, murderous um and and dark kind of twist i guess yes and i have i'm i mean we are not finished watching all of these episodes yet so there's a lot of foreshadowing towards murder but uh it has not happened quite yet but it's one of those shows where you know when an episode ends it's like oh we have to watch another one but it's getting late should go to bed i don't know let's watch it so it's 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 that good cool okay i'll check it out anything else you want to uh, mention before we uh tie this episode up in a bow and ship it out on rss <laughs> that is it my friend uh let's 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 get it out there let's get it out into the world yes let's do it okay well don't miss a future show of this podcast you can subscribe in your podcast app of choice mine is overcast uh or you can subscribe to our youtube and soundcloud channels to get the latest episodes and you can follow us on socials facebook instagram twitter linkedin and our newsletter prlawpodcast.club so for you and christy this is cam mcmurgy happy belated mother's day light it up this has been the pr and law podcast with cam mcmurgy and you and christy if you enjoyed the show please share it with a friend or leave a review you can also join us on linkedin twitter instagram and facebook by following our account at pr law podcast that's all one word prlaw podcast thanks for your support